lightning round. Welcome, welcome. Hello, and welcome to episode 8 of the Dave Kirshner Lightning Round podcast. It is week 12 of the 46th Quadrennial Hunger Games, and I am your host, du jour, Dave Kirshner. Let's get to it. Politics, 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 politics. Yes, the Roman Senate. The Roman Senate is the best legislature that money can buy. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on politics today, um, or this week. Um, I want to continue with my preparedness discussions. But Biden's administration, being what they are, pick a negative adjective, and there you have it. Um, but I do want to talk about this, this teachers' union business over in San Diego, because, well, you know, the teachers are allowed to volunteer to teach the children that have literally been thrown over the wall into our country, but yet natural-born citizens or naturalized citizens of this country in that state and in that school district are still being taught online. So they won't let the American kids go to school, but hey, they got a captive audience in a detention center, so hey, if the San Diego Teachers Union says it's okay, then these teachers can use some of their spring break to go teach kids in person, but it's too dangerous to teach our own kids. What a crooked increase in obscenity. To my ears, that doesn't sound too bad. I'm so sick of this, people. Sick of it. And you should be too. And that's literally all I wanted to talk about in politics, is how pissed off I am at the San Diego Teachers Union, and pretty much any teachers union in the state of California. But I have an idea that I want to run past people. Now, we all know about the American Civil War and slavery and all of that stuff. Union troops marching into southern states that have seceded. And, you know, it's getting to the point now where I actually could legitimately see a constitutional United States and those states that believe in the Constitution seceding from the socialist states of the United States. So you have the, the this country is on the verge, in my opinion, of coming dangerously close to splitting into the socialist states of America, and the constitutional states of America. And I got to tell you, it would be an interesting, um, it would be an interesting concept to explore. And I think I'm, I think I found my, uh, oh, let's call it my muse for a new book. And I'm going to try and wrap this up into, I got a couple ideas kicking around, and I've got some outlines that I've written previously, but this, uh, this splitting of our union into socialist and, and constitutional states, I think this got some legs, because I think a lot of people can relate to this, uh, and, and, and it, the proof is in the pudding, because people are fleeing these socialist states. They're getting the hell out of Dodge. They're going to some other state where they're not being taxed into oblivion to pay for these socialized programs that benefit non-Americans. Trump was right, whether you want to admit it or not. Maybe you didn't like the way he tweeted or how he was blunt. Get over it, man. Get over it. That guy did more in four years with the entire system trying to bring him down than any president had done in the last 50 years. When they write the history books, if they're actually being honest, you'll see that. He did more in four years than any president did in 50 years. 
That's all I want to say about politics, but now I got an idea for some new books, so I wanted to share that with you. Moving on. Well, well, I thought I'd check, see what my uh, what my stocks are doing, because I haven't checked them, I don't think, until since, uh, well, episode two, maybe? Uh, just when I was talking about... Uh, my investment strategy, what I did for me, but um, in last week's episode or the one before that, I don't remember which, uh, I talked about how the stock market, it seems to be doing fine, but it's it's waffling. It's not going anywhere. It's not going up. It's not going down. It's just kind of holding steady. So I checked my, um, my stock portfolio here on TD Ameritrade, and I'm literally in the same spot that I was at a month ago. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still up, I'm up, uh, what, the grand, $1,100, $1,200, and it's, it's gone up a little bit, it's gone down a little bit, we've had some good days, bad days, we lost a couple hundred points, we gained it all back a few days later, just, so, you know, that's just, it's all a direct result of investors and the global economy not knowing what bumbling, stumbling Biden is going to do. He has no foreign policy. He hasn't stated anything. So they're all holding on to their money and they're not investing. They're not moving money. They're not selling. They're not buying. They're not doing anything. They're just staring at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue waiting for that idiot to do something other than to say... Well, there's no border crisis down along the southern border. Well, I put Kamala in charge of that, and uh, watch out for that step. And I really... Oh, what a... Mm. Radio edit. <laughs> so, and we're going to... I, I want to talk about bartering later on, but as, as part of that uh, bartering uh, concept... Uh, you might want to think about precious metals. And I put on my website, well, you know there's a commercial coming now for the website, don't you? <laughs> but if you go to my website at davidjkirshner.com, there's an option there labeled precious metals. So if you select that option, you'll go down and it'll give you a, uh, a money metals exchange. And tell you, it tells you uh, where the current spot price is for gold, silver, platinum, palladium, rhodium. Uh, and you can look at it in terms of ounces, grams, and kilos. But the thing that I find interesting, so I'm, I've got it set to silver right now, and I've got the chart set to show me what is going on for the last five years. And this goes to my point that the world is literally waiting for Biden to come up with a foreign policy. Good, bad, or indifferent, they're waiting on a decision. And because he has such cognitive decline, and Kamala is such a freaking socialist, they don't want to make a decision. They would literally want to hold the world hostage financially because they want income distribution. They want everybody to be fair and equal. Heaven forbid you earn it. No, no can't have that people who build stuff we just should tax them more so that we can pay for the people to sit on their couch and play their freaking xbox it is it's beyond pathetic but anyway you go to my website you go to the precious metals and for five years so this goes back to uh looks like january ish of 2016 so we've got the run-up to the Trump presidency and silver generally bounced around between 15 and 20 dollars an ounce his entire presidency it it goes up it goes down but it's it's pretty even keel then you get to January of 2020 and look at that the spot price for silver jumps to almost $30 an ounce. That's how little the American people trust Joe Biden. Okay? 
by looking at the spot prices for gold and silver or precious metals in general, you can always tell where the American people are. This is a litmus test for how they feel in terms of confidence when it comes to the leadership of this country. From January 2020, from Inauguration Day, when Pelosi got to put up her magic walls around the Capitol that are still up. Oh, and somebody drive, somebody drove into the barricade, killed a cop. That guy, what an idiot. Drives into a barricade, hits two cops, kills one of them, then jumps out of his car with a knife. He brought, literally, he brought a knife to a gunfight. He's dead. He's got a lot of extra holes in him that God didn't give him. Freaking genius. But, if you go back to the precious metal index, I digressed for a moment. Silver literally jumped from about $12 an ounce to 30 in the span of about four months. It's come down a little bit. We're looking at about $27 an ounce right now for silver. Now, if I change it over to gold, gold stayed fairly even all throughout the Trump presidency, $1,100, $1,200 a share, or I'm sorry, an ounce. And then you start, people started getting antsy in the lead up to the election. It bumped up to 15 da 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 da, da. We have the inauguration. It's around uh, $15.50 an ounce. And where is it now? Oh, in the same time frame, same time frame that silver jumped almost, uh, call it $7 an ounce. They went from, no, what was it? I said 12 to 30, so no, $17, $18 an ounce. Gold jumped almost $400 an ounce. It got up to $2,000 an ounce, and it's been hovering around... 2000 just under 2000 and now it's it's actually come down a little bit it's down to about $1800 an ounce. So that becomes a problem when people don't trust the leadership in this country it becomes very very difficult for you to incorporate precious metals um, into your preparedness planning. The only thing you can really do at that point is just pay attention to the change you get. Pay attention to yard sales and garage sales and things of that nature, and you, maybe you'll get lucky. But you know, I don't know many people that are going to go out and spend you know twenty seven dollars an ounce on on silver right now. They're gonna they're gonna wait for it to come back down, or they're just gonna do without. So. So one thing that is interesting is you can click on the All button. So it'll show you everything for these uh, types of precious metals going back as far as they've got records. So if, you, if you're on silver and you click on All, it'll go back all the way to 1995. And what's interesting is from 95 until 2004, Silver was under $5 an ounce. Then it bumped up a little bit when we went to war, 9-11, the whole thing. Uh-oh, what happened in 2008? I wonder, what could it be? Oh, oh, another Democrat president. That's what happens. <clears throat> so we go from under $5 an ounce from 95 all the way to 2008, roughly. Uh, when we went to war and started bombing other countries and stuff, it got up to $6, $7 an ounce, but it never went over 10 You put Obama in the White House, and we went from, we went from, call it $12 a share. Obama gets in there, the housing crisis happens, he starts doing Obamacare, or I mean the Affordable Care Act, silver got up to $42 an ounce during the Obama presidency. And it looks like it's going to do it again with Biden in office. We're already on 
the uphill. That's what gold, that's what silver did. Now, if I do the same thing for gold, at the same time that silver spiked during the Obama years, gold got up to eighteen hundred dollars an ounce, and then it came back down and it just kind of leveled off around twelve hundred dollars until the end of the Trump presidency, and everybody saw the idiot coming into office. And it spiked back up to $2,000 an ounce. So what does that tell you? Investors do not like Democrats in the White House. That's what it tells me. So, you know, what can you do? Just keep planning. That's all you can do. You just got to keep planning. You got to keep your head on a swivel. You got to keep looking around, trying to read the tea leaves. And do everything in your power to make sure that you're keeping you your family, your loved ones, uh, safe and away from these, these idiots. Now we're going to take a break. You knew it was coming. And now we pause for some shameless self-promotion. Do you want to know more about what makes me tick? Then go to my website at davidjkirshner.com and read about my latest adventures on the blog, discover what books and websites I recommend, download my research white papers, find the latest episode of the podcast, and discover more recipes that were not in my Just a Small Gathering book. Or perhaps you want to contact me for advice, ask a question, or make a suggestion, then go to the contact page of my website at davidjkirshner.com. Best of all, everything is free. Now back to the show. All right, now that that's out of the way, I did want to come back to the conversation that we were having last week where we were talking about caches and trying to get from point A to point B and having, you know, the the weight of it all, how to prioritize your packing. And one of the things that I wanted to clarify is you don't necessarily need to cache a whole bunch of stuff, okay? The whole point of the cache is to give you a little added boost, a little lift to help you get from A plus 1 to B. All right, if you have little waypoints in between. What you really should be doing is if you actually have a dedicated B location, a secondary location, you should pre-position a lot of your, your gear and a lot of your stuff. So you don't have to make those last-second decisions on whether or not you can get all of your gear into the car. If you can go up in normal times and stock uh, a cabin or a retreat of some kind or maybe you've uh, formed a group with other like-minded people and one of your homes is the designated rally spot uh, or destination then you as a group should be planning on pre-positioning some of your stuff that way it's easier for you to pack you can get out of town quicker and you don't have to worry about having to make decisions on whether or not you're going to bring this or bring that what's more important what's a priority what is not and the other thing i wanted to kind of clarify is we were talking about the weight of ammunition and i was saying to you that you know you could bring 500 rounds of ammunition for the same amount of weight that you could only bring 100 rounds of 40 or 45 one of the other things that you might want to think about, and, and it goes to my issue stemming from having a standalone whole house generator, is the noise signature. So if you're popping off a firearm, people are going to hear that. Unless you have one of those magical devices that the ATF lets you have called a suppressor. So barring that, what you can do to help yourselves along is you can use what I call them silent weapons. So you've got a compound bow, you've got a crossbow, and then you also have air rifles. And I'm not talking about paint guns. I'm talking about air rifles that'll that'll whiz a, a pellet out of that barrel at about 1,500 feet per second. Okay? You can take down small game with that. You shoot them right in the head, boom, you got dinner. Okay? And the, the point I want to make is there's no noise signature, okay? Nobody's going to hear your crossbow go off 
a mile away. But they're going to hear that 22 or that 45 or that 12 gauge or whatever it is that you're carrying. So, and you can also bring you can bring a slingshot if you wanted to, uh, but I would not recommend <laughs> using that as your sole source for uh, gathering sustenance. If if all you've ever done is is take little pot shots at a log in your backyard, you know you need to be somewhat proficient at that little rock chucker to be able to do the things that you need to do. And even if you if you're going to be, say somebody's got um, bad blisters or whatever, and you need to rest for a few days, okay? So you've, you've found a spot that's out of the way, it's tucked off into the woods, off of the road, you know, you're cold camping, whatever it is that you're doing, okay? Maybe you should become proficient at setting snares, because if you're going to be there for a couple of days, then you can allow the snares to work, all right? Whether that's a trout line or if you've got a snare for rabbits or, or a, a squirrel or whatever it is that you're going to do, you know, I don't think you want to be setting conibear traps for, uh, for large game or anything like that. You're not trying to catch a bear. You know, you're looking to get a little bit of sustenance so that you can keep going for another couple days until you get to... Uh, your your ultimate destination, and that's what I, I wanted to offer those points of clarification or additional insight into the topics that we were talking about. So that brings me to a couple things that I want to talk about. So when I went down to go uh, quail hunting, uh, we did some some saltwater fishing, and one of the guys that we were with, he got out. And he unpacked a drone. And I thought, man, you're crazy. What the hell are you going to do with a drone? And, you know, it was tied into uh, to his cell phone. And he put the cell phone into a, this little, uh, call it a, a hand controller of sorts. Uh, and there was a little camera that was mounted on the bottom of the of the drone. And the water around Ocracroke, um, where we were was really, really clear that day. There wasn't a lot of silt in the water. We hadn't had that many storms or anything down there. And I'm telling you, he had that drone, and it was maybe, I don't know, 20, 25 feet above the water. And he pointed that camera right down the water, and you could see fish. He just, and he would just fly around, and, you know, and he was like, oh! Oh, there's this, or you know, there's a hammerjack, or there's an albacore, or whatever it was he was looking for, and um, and I thought, well, that was pretty interesting, and that actually uh, jogged my memory. I had come across an article uh, from the uh, the Ask a Prepper website that I get these emails from. They seem to put out one a day. It feels like, yeah, they put out one a day, and uh, it was it was. Titled, Why You Should Get a Drone for When the Shit Hits the Fan, SHTF. And they brought up some valid points. My only concern, again, is the noise signature. But if you have it high enough up in the air, the ability to hear it is not going to be as noticeable as if it's hovering 10 feet above your head. So, one of the, there were a couple things that they recommended that you could use the drone for. One of them was perimeter security. So if you've got a farm or you've got a piece of property or something like that, uh, and you have a fairly well-established perimeter, uh, fencing, a fence line, if you will, I mean, you could literally stand on your front porch and and send the drone out and have uh, uh, waypoints already designated within the program and so all you got to do is tell it to lift off and then go run the perimeter so you just watch you don't even have to control the drone some of these things are pretty advanced they're pretty nifty i i really i really want to get one um but like i was saying if you if you could program in set coordinates and tell it you know go from my front porch to the end of the drive go left and then it's going to go to you know this XY coordinate, then it's going to go and turn and go to this coordinate and that coordinate. And you could literally fly your whole fence line and just sit on the porch with a cup of coffee uh, 
and and watch the camera feed and see if there's anything uh, anything amiss, anything of note. And if there is, then you can always pause the the program and go back and hover over and and get closer and zoom in, do whatever you need to do. So I thought that was a an interesting concept, an interesting thing that you could do with a drone. Um, another thing that they they mentioned two more things. And I think they're kind of one and the same, but they broke it up into scouting missions and looking for potential threats, uh, which is kind of in the same vein as the perimeter sweep. But um, the the scouting missions you can you can send this drone up, and you know you can check and see if the bridge has been washed out, or you can check and see if uh, if it's hard to get to certain areas, and energy consumption is something that you need to be considering given a lack of uh, food so you you're not having you don't have the ability to replenish uh, unnecessarily burned calories uh, you you might want to employ a drone to be able to look and see you know you could use the drone if you've got uh, snares or traps set up you can go check and see if something's been triggered without actually having to expend fuel or to expend the energy to walk out there and get it. You can just fly out, go look, come back. And then you'll know if you need to go check something. But the way that they've kind of defend or the way that they've kind of defined uh, potential threats, you know, you can use the drone to survey not only your property, but nearby uh, properties that are, that are abutting yours to look and see if there's any kind of activity. Did somebody set up a camp of some kind? Uh, nearby and you might have discovered this already because maybe they aren't as attuned at trying to remain anonymous and hidden and they've lit they've lit a giant fire so you can either see them at night or you can smell the smoke from their campfire so that's something that you can use your drone for to see if there's anything you know because people tend to want to put their tent or their campsite in a clearing as opposed to just up in the up in the timber. So you could use your drone for that. You could also use it for finding resources. So you can, you know, hey look, you know, is is let's check out this water hole, make sure it's not contaminated. You know, let's we can fly this thing upstream and go see if there's anything, you know, I would seriously caution you from using any water that is downstream from a hog farm. Because that shit will kill you. I'm just going to say. Um, there were a couple other things that they pointed out. Um, but I think the one that bears the most or has the most bearing on this particular topic when we're talking about trying to get out of Dodge and get from point A to point B is to be able to use the drone to scout your bug out route. If that makes any sense. I'm a poet and didn't even know it. Woo! What I mean by that is if you are on your rural route on your trek and you're trying to avoid towns and people and you come into a small little hamlet but there's a police presence blocking the road telling you you can't go any further, you can always backtrack and then use the drone from a different location where you're not able to be seen and you can look and see if there's a way for you to get around that roadblock or if there's a legitimate reason that that roadblock is there like say the bridge is washed out or there are people up there collecting tolls on certain roads or whatever the case may be you can use the drone to kind of do that but you have to be aware that it runs on a battery, so you've got to figure out a way to how uh, how to keep it charged. Um, they're usually good for anywhere from uh, ten to thirty minutes of flight time uh, because it takes a lot of energy to spin all of the rotors. Uh, it takes some time to recharge. So if you dovetail that into last week's conversation about portable solar, you could, in theory, take a little break. Get out your portable solar panel, unfold them all, stand it up, let it collect some energy, and you can recharge your drone that way. All right, so 
<clears throat> that covers that. And um, there are two more things that I want to talk about. One is gray water systems, and uh, the other is bartering. So uh, this is a, a concept that you definitely uh, gray gray water systems are definitely a concept that you want to. Um, oh, what's the word? No, it's it's you definitely want to consider it, um, especially if you haven't built anything yet. So if you're like me, you're saving up for land, and once you you buy your land, you are going to build something, whether it's um, a, a custom home, a log home, you're going to try and build something yourself, whatever it is, uh, you're likely going to try and incorporate some form of plumbing. And what you can do to help conserve your water usage, because water is king in in these types of scenarios, you're going to expend a lot of mental energy trying to conceive of ways to capture water, to clean water, to using water for plantings, uh, orchards, gardens, what have you. So if you've expended all of that energy, physical and mental, to capture water, whether that's a, a rainwater system, uh, rain barrels, you've got a cistern, whatever it is that you're doing, wherever you're putting your water, you want to get the most use out of your water as possible. And that's what a gray water system will do. So basically, it'll help uh, capture the water from uh, sinks and showers and washing machines, uh, dishwashers on occasion. But, oh, I'm sorry, not dishwashers. Uh, but it really depends on what you're going to do with that. But uh, it allows you to capture that water that's already been used, uh, provided there are certain things that you have to take into consideration if you're going to use a gray water system. So if you know you're going to reuse and repurpose that water and it could potentially end up in your garden, you need to be cognizant of the soaps and detergents that you're using. Uh, because some of them, you know, you think, oh, I'm going to use, you know, Coast or Lever or Head and Shoulders or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, you need to make sure that it is plant-friendly. Because when you are going to capture that water in a surge tank, and if you have not incorporated some means to attempt to purify it with like a UV light or something like that, uh, you could potentially be doing more harm than good for your garden, for your for your orchard, what have you. It doesn't really matter if you're going to reuse that water to simply flush toilets. Um, and, and if you don't have any designs to use that water in a garden and an orchard, um, then you don't really necessarily need to worry about the, the purification piece of it, trying to get uh, it as clean as you can. But... Uh, but it is something you need to, to think about. So uh, in terms of, of gray water systems, uh, what it actually is, is a, um, is, it's a name that's given to water that's already been used for washing purposes. That's what gray water is. Like laundry, hand washing, showering, and bathing. Uh, you do not want to use any water that's come, to, come in contact with feces. <laughs> that's kind of a given. That's black water, not gray water. Um, and this is, you need to be aware of this because if you have infants and toddlers that are still in diapers and in a scenario where, um, society has collapsed, for example, and you're using cloth diapers, you do not want to capture any water that was used to clean diapers. That means that, that means that water came in contact with feces. So you don't want to use that. You want to make sure that you're washing those items separately and outside of your system so it doesn't contaminate your system. Um, so the gray water system then is, is basically used to, to redirect and recycle uh, once used water for other purposes like a garden. Uh, so we've, we kind of go through that. And, and basically, if you can use it in your garden, like I said, if you're using uh, natural and organic cleansers um those 
some of them actually can be beneficial to your garden. So you definitely don't want to use anything from your dishwasher. Um, and it's a real, I mean, it's, it could be a stretch for using water from, from the kitchen sink. Um, but there was one thing that I came across that you definitely want to consider is that if you have a water softener in your home that uses salt, you cannot use a gray water system because a lot of that water, there's too much salt and it'll kill your plants. Um, so if you have a water softener, you might want to look at a potassium softener instead of a sodium salt, sodium softener. Um, but, you know, putting one of these things in is not overly expensive. The problem is most people like, you know, like myself, who think of these great ideas, I'm already in a home that's already been built. My house was built in the 40s. I've got full 2x4 walls that have two layers of plasterboard and then the mud on top of that. My walls are literally six inches thick. And then, in order to install a gray water system, you have to install separate piping. So, I would need to run a completely different pipe from my gray water system to the cold water intake for the toilets, for example. That means I got to crack open some walls and I got to be able to run piping up to that toilet so that I can disconnect the pipe that has come from the uh, hot water tank, or not from the hot water tank, but from the, the, the water system from the street, the city water, or what have you, I have to be able to disconnect that, run a new pipe, and then connect it back to the toilet. So it becomes cumbersome in that regard because you got to, you know, now you're into wall repair and nobody wants to do that. That stuff sucks. I hate working with plaster. I can build you a million dollar home. From the foundation to the roof, I can, you know, put in windows, I can do trim work, I can shingle the roof, I can install the gutters, I can, you know, I can do everything that you want, run wiring, landscaping. I'm telling you, man, there are two things that I just do not enjoy doing. Well, three. I don't like messing with electricity because that just scares the crap out of me. I'm afraid I'm going to electrocute myself, but I, I, I do it. I've done it. And I make sure that I watch a, U, a lot of YouTube videos on it. Another thing, the second thing that I don't like to do is anything dealing with finished work associated with sheetrock, drywall, uh, mudding. It just is, I don't know what it is. I, I just can't do it. It just drives me absolutely bonkers. So I would find a friend. <laughs> Who's good at, at drywall stuff if this is something that I was going to do? But there are some things you need to be care cognizant of when if you're going to have a gray water system. So basically, you don't want to store gray water for more than 24 hours. Um, it'll start to break down and it'll start to smell. You don't want to do that. So the system, you're, you're going to have a surge tank. So it's going to collect all that water coming from your shower, coming from your, your bathroom sinks, coming from your washing machine. So it's going to catch, capture a large influx of water in a hurry, okay? And then you're going to have emitters that go out into your garden, kind of like a, uh, a septic system of sorts, but it's going to move the gray water out into your garden, into your, uh, into your orchard, whatever. You know, you know, don't worry about, oh man, I'm going to use, I'm going to have to, I'm going to waste so much water because my garden's not going to be able to take that much water in my orchard or whatever it is that you're trying to water outside, flower beds, what have you. There are a couple concepts that you can employ so that you can make sure you utilize as much of that as possible. One is a, is a uh, like not a floodplain, it's a, a wetland or a pond of some kind. So what you can do is excess gray water can be um, directed to those structures and those those structures between the dirt and the plants, it'll clean that water. And then it, over time, I mean, yeah, it's not going to be 100% potable, but you can then collect that water, boil it, uh, put in your, your water purification, but let the plants do their work. Um, but also, it also has to be tied into the normal sewer system. So if your surge tank 
gets too full, you can have the overflow. If you can't use it all in your garden and you don't have a little man-made wetland pond of some kind, you can have the, the overflow tied into your, into your sewer system. So that's something that you could definitely think about. Uh, and there's lots of, of, of diagrams and maps or, uh, you know, renderings where people have put things up online. So you can find that stuff. Uh, that is definitely something that I'm going to be putting in when, uh, when I build my little my cabin in the woods on my property. <laughs> my wife thinks I'm crazy, but whatever. I want solar. I want a gray water system. I want rain catchment systems. I got all kinds of plans and ideas. And, uh, you know, she thinks I'm a loon. So the last thing I want to talk about is, uh, is bartering. And bartering is a, is a unique concept because most people, okay, let's, let's take a step back. So most people will agree that in the event of a major disruption, uh, that is probably possibly, uh, connected and coupled with a, uh, potential societal collapse, uh, government backed paper currency is going to become useless. So if that is in fact true, what do you do for currency? What does the term currency mean in that scenario? So to me, we have three things, I think, that you could use as your definition for currency in that scenario, post-societal collapse um, scenario. So you have tangible commodities. Those are your... Uh, these are items that contain some sort of intrinsic monetary value. These are your precious metals. Um, the Another one would be equivalent value. So that could be an item that is bartered or swapped in a like-for-like -like scenario. So, for example, you need uh, canning lids for your, for your mason jars because you're only supposed to use those lids once. Uh, well, you might want to trade with somebody for, you know, hey, they need seeds. You got a ton of seeds, but you need lids. And they got lids, but they need seeds. So you swap. That's kind of a, a traditional bartered uh, agreement. It's a like for like. I'm going to give you A, you're going to give me B. Um, and then another thing that could potentially classify as currency in a, uh, a post-apocalyptic scenario would be a tradable skill. And... You would trade the skill for certain services. So, um, say you're skilled in, in weapons or you have a, a background in law enforcement. So, you're familiar with security, if you will. So, somebody might trade um, food and shelter, uh, room and board and food, what have you, for uh, you providing extra security for their their business or their farm or, you know, uh, manual labor doing field work or, you know, maybe maybe you're a blacksmith and, and you know, they'll, they'll pay you to come and, and, you know, chew their horses or ge general blacksmithing, medical, veterinary services, uh, carpentry, plumbing, electrical, if they have some means of electricity like a, a solar system. They've got a, a solar rack out in the field or on the edge, edge of a hedgerow, whatever. It's, it's hidden, but it can get light. Whatever it is, um, they, they need help with the electrical piece of it. So you could do that. Another thing, you know, it's the profession as old as time, and it's prostitution. So services rendered, that would be prostitution. Uh, so to me, it's my belief that, that all of these can be valued as currency during a major disruption. It really just depends on what the individuals involved in the bartered arrangement are willing to trade. So we talked a little bit about uh, precious metals and a lot of the, the stuff that you're going to read, especially in, in uh, the, the post-apocalyptic dystopian genre, uh, people are always putting a lot of weight or credence or uh, emphasis on pre-1964 coinage. 
And what they're talking about is uh, currency in the United States, nickels, dimes, quarters, half dollars, dollars. Um, they Until the 60s, well, I shouldn't say that. Well, yeah, I can't. So they used to actually contain silver. It wasn't 100% silver. It was, you know, up to 90% silver. So, uh, for example, the Roosevelt dime, it contained uh, 90% silver from 1946 to 1964. Okay, so that's when you're going to see a lot of people like, oh, well, you know, here, I paid him, you know, uh, 30 cents in pre-1964 dimes for, you know, 100 rounds of, of two two three. That's an example you might find in a book, uh, in a you know, fiction book. So those are the ones that people are typically going to go to are dimes. Uh, nickels, there was a... Nickels only had about 35% silver from 42 to 45. Um, we already covered that. So quarters. Quarters were 90% silver from 1916 to 1930. That was the Standing Liberty Quarter. And then there were these Washington Quarters that came out in 1932, but then they stopped that run. And then they came back in 34 to 64, those were all 90% silver. Um, you had 90% silver in the Kennedy half dollar in 1964. You had 90% silver in the Franklin half dollar from 1948 to 63. There was another walking liberty there from 1916 to 1947. That was 90%. Um, the tougher ones finding 90% uh, silver in a dollar coin, uh, those, they don't exist after 1935, and it was kind of spotty in between all those years. But you can, you can get all of those things um, if you go online. Uh, you can, well, I mean, you could get lucky if you went to uh, flea markets and swaps and, and, do some dickering and and there's private sellers or garage sales. I mean, you can do that kind of stuff and really just you know hope for the best. Estate sales, you might find something there, but uh, your best bet for finding that these coins are going to be websites like um, JM Bullion or Affmex or Provident Metals, um, and what they call them. What you want to look for is the term junk coins. So they, they'll sell you a bag of junk coins, right? So you'll get a bag that it says $100 face value, okay? So they're going to give you $100 worth of coinage, but it's pre-1964 coinage. So what they're actually going to sell it to you in terms of price is based on the silver content. So a $100 face value of junk coins is going to cost you a hell of a lot more than $100, so, I just wanted to bring that up so you could maybe think about that. And But then, you know, when you get into bartering where it's like for like, so a lot of people, like me, I have uh, stuff set aside that I know that for the people in my area, uh, and I've done research, you know, what are the, what are the popular ammo calibers in my state? Um, and in neighboring states. So those are the those are the ammo calibers that I'll focus on to buy extras of just in case um, something happens. I could use that ammunition to barter. So if I needed food or seeds or uh, a piece of, a, of equipment, um, whatever it was, I could use ammo as like you would paper currency. I could use seeds. I could do... So what do you what do you set aside? What what would be something that's inexpensive to you right now in a fully functioning society? <laughs> sure it is. In our moderately fully functioning society, what would be inexpensive for you to purchase uh, an extra quantity of or buy something in bulk, for example, and that will only increase in value if something bad happens. So you could, 
You could get um, small airplane bottles of alcohol because people are going to want to unwind. They're going to want a little. They're going to want a little nip. Um, you could also think about getting uh, candle making supplies or canning supplies. Um, fuel stabilizer that's pretty inexpensive. Um, diesel antibacterial, just in case somebody uh, needs it. I mean, that's that would be very, 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 very valuable. Um, you could get um, uh, beeswax or paraffin wax that that you need that for uh, canning, canning supplies. Um, don't overlook um, having spare. Uh, Tampons and pads, feminine hygiene products, those things will sell like hotcakes because nobody wants to go back to the old way of doing stuff. Uh, and I'll leave that there. <laughs> um, the honey, honey will uh, store for damn near indefinitely. Um, it's a great sweetener. Um, you can cook with it. That would, and it, depending on the size of the bottle, it could be inexpensive. Or, you know, if you've got your own hives, you could make your own honey or, or you know, bottle your own honey. Um, laundry detergent, uh, fishing gear, that would go a long way. People feeding for themselves or people feeding themselves. Uh, lubricants for and solvents. These things are uh, keeping your your firearms in good working order or your equipment, whether that's uh, farm machinery, uh, vehicles, uh, small engines, whatever. I mean, that's that's a noise signature problem. But hey, if somebody needs you know some sort of of uh, vehicle machinery lubricant, I mean, it's kind of inexpensive. So you could you could keep a couple bottles of that. Uh, medical supplies would go a long way. Uh, that's bandages, compresses, wraps, uh, tubing, uh, assorted tools like forceps and scissors and three needle and thread or you know three O silk, whatever. Uh, reloading supplies, rolls of plastic, uh, salt. Salt would go a very very long way if you can stockpile a bunch of that. Uh, I mean, even if you bought, you went to Tractor Supply and you bought a dozen blocks of salt, I mean, that's cheap, right? But you could still knock off a chunk and run it through a grinder, and you've got salt. You'd be good to go if you need to, like, cure meats and stuff. Uh, I think I already said sewing supplies, uh, but ropes and uh, paracord, uh, various strings... Spices for cooking and curing, uh, tobacco, and wire rolls. You could use the wire rolls for uh, for snares. Uh, you know, thin wire you could use for snares, or you could buy that. That would be relatively inexpensive. But if you got gardening wire, like rabbit fence or chicken fence and chicken wire, those rolls are not cheap. I cannot tell you how much or how many times I've got sticker shock when I went to Lowe's or Home Depot and I'm like, oh my God, they want me to pay 50 bucks for this freaking roll of wine. This is crazy. So those are are, are equivalent value products that you could have for, for bartering. And the last one is the tradable service. Um, so, and I, and I kind of rattled off a few of these before, but um, if, if, you're on the road and you're traveling. And I outline this in part four of my book series. So one of the characters is on the road. He's trying to get from A to B. Kind of like the scenarios I'm laying out. And he's got a lot of skills. He, you know, you, you could be a carpenter. You could be a hunter, fisher, fisher hunting, fishing, trapping. Um, you could be, uh, a gardener, a farmer, a, you know, a forager, an herbalist, um, a chef or, or a cook of some kind. You could be a, a mechanic or a, a doctor, nurse, EMT, midwife, um, carpentry, electrical, landscaping, masonry, plumbing, woodworker, 
you know, somebody's building furniture. If you have these trade skill sets, you are your own walking billboard. You can get into a, a walled community, if you will, if you know how to do certain things and they're looking for that particular skill set. So I know a lot of people in the IT industry that literally have no other skill set other than they're a developer or they're a quality assurance tester. They have done nothing else in their life and they do not know how to do anything else. So they're going to have a problem because if you have a societal collapse, you're not getting in the gate if you don't know how to do one of these, call it blue-collar manual labor type of, of skills. Well, you know, the doctor's not exactly blue-collar, but in that scenario they would be. Um, but if you're like, hey, I'm a, I'm a Java developer, guess what? <laughs> you're now on the firewood brigade. Go out in the woods and go see how much crap you can carry back because you're useless. You are a pack mule. You are manual labor. You're not doing anything constructive inside the wall. You're going to be finding fresh water sources and tending the fire to boil the water so that it's uh, safe and drinkable. So these are things that you need to think about when you're contemplating your preparedness uh, skills and your planning you need to be thinking, how am I going to get from A to B? Can I pre-position stuff at B? Is there a cache or two somewhere between A and B? If I have to go a very long distance, do I have a skill set that will allow me to rest for a few weeks? And I could work as security. I could work in, on as a gardener, as a farmer, as a beekeeper, what, you know, whatever it is. I could, somebody's in labor. I could be a midwife. You know, somebody needs a, a pole barn built and you're a carpenter. Hey, guess what? You know, you're going to be able to get into these communities if you have a tradable skill set. And then once you're at your location and once you're at B and people are getting more comfortable being out and about and socializing again, do you have products, gear, equipment that you could trade for things that maybe you didn't think of that now you're like, crap, I needed X, but I've got a, I've got a ton of A. Well, I'm going to trade some of A so I can get some more X, whatever it is. So, but that's it. That's what I wanted to talk about this week. Um, I have seen uh, that, uh, and we're going to talk about this next week. I'm going to, I'm going to let, um, some of this new information coming out of the bumbling, stumbling Biden administration kind of settle out before I start talking about it. But, uh, he's continuing on down his road with his, uh, executive order, Tic Tac distribution. Uh, now he's, he's got, um, potential gun legislation that he wants out there. He's floating the idea of expanding the Supreme Court. And, of course, you know, the mob, they went crazy because one of the Supreme Court justices was like, you guys are full of crap. You guys, you know, Brennan, he, he really, he made, a, he made a statement, and the left is, you know, the cancel culture's out there saying, he should resign, he should retire. He said that, I can't believe it. Bunch of little three-year-olds with a never-ending temper tantrum. Just unbelievable. Anyway, so we're going to get into that next week. Um, so I hope you have a good week, and we will talk again soon. Bye-bye. Happy Hunger Games. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Mm -hmm.